Ted Geisel was a college dropout. He wanted to be a writer. He was taking some courses at college. He did about one year, part of a year at Dartmouth, but he wanted to Dartmouth, but he wanted to be a writer and he dropped out of college to begin that pursuit. He wanted to write children's books. He was married, but he and his wife were unable to have children and some thought that it was they wondered at this time in, in history, they wondered how someone that could not have children and did not have children could write children's books and, and how people could relate to, how, how he could write literature that would relate to children. But he wrote a book. And he wrote a book while he was on a ship coming back from England to the United States. And this book that he wrote he thought was quite a good book and he thought, this is a book that I'm going to publish. And he took the book to various publishers. In fact, he took the book to 27 publishers, and 27 publishers disagreed with him upon the quality of his book. Well, at that point, we would define Ted as a failure, probably in many ways. He dropped out of college to be a writer, to write books. He wanted to write children's books. He had no kids, so people thought, you can't even relate to children. 27 publishers read his book and said, you know, this isn't a book worth publishing. Luckily, though, for us, what some had determined to be his fate, and that is to not write. Someone asked him once, Ted, if you had not become a writer, what would you have done? He said, I would have probably worked at the dry cleaners. Nothing wrong with working at the dry cleaners, but for a writer, that's probably not where you want to be. But he did not accept this fate, and thus... He pressed on, and that next publishing house published his book, and that first book became the book, And to Think, I Saw It on Mulberry Street by Dr. Seuss, and we are happy that Dr. Seuss persisted, that he was not defined by the past failures, that he was not defined by, by what people thought about him, but that he pressed on, and that things change. We like success stories like this. It's, it's kind of the American way. I think it's the human way that, that we like this idea of, of someone being seeming, being seeming to be a complete failure and then pulled from the ashes and, and rising to amazing success. Dr. Seuss, Ted Geisel, is the ninth most published fiction writer in the history of the world, one of the uh, most published uh, children book writers, of course. Every, every, every high school senior should read the book, Oh, the Places We Go. It's a children's book, but you should read it. It's uh, worth your time, and it has some great wisdom in it. But we love stories of this. Out of, out of conflict, out of, out of failure, someone rising up. I found just such a story in the book of Genesis chapter 49 for this week. I'll admit that I did not expect to find this sermon in this chapter, and Genesis chapter 49 is primarily uh, a chapter of the blessings and, in a few cases, the curses of Jacob over his 12 sons just prior to his death. Most of us have probably not heard a sermon out of Genesis chapter 49. If we have, it may be a reference to Jacob being buried with Leah in some sort of relationship sermon maybe that we heard, or maybe we heard a sermon about the prophetic line of Judah and the messianic line that came from Judah. But the sermon I found is just prior to Jacob's blessing over Judah and his offspring. And so open your Bibles with me to the book of Genesis chapter 49, please. We have this sermon today, and then we have one more sermon next week in Genesis chapter 50. 
and then we are done with the book of Genesis. And some people have asked, are you going to move on next to Exodus? We are eventually, but we're going to take a pause. We're going to do some standalone sermons, and then we're going to do a series on the Sermon on the Mount. So we hope that you will join us uh, for that series as well. But Genesis chapter 49, I'm reading from the English Standard Version, verse 1. The Bible says, Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in the days to come. He's going to prophesy, not, over, not only over them, but also over their progeny, over their offspring, over their, their heritage that will come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob, listen to Israel your father. Jacob then goes on through each son, beginning with his oldest Reuben and ending with his youngest son Benjamin to pronounce some prophetic statement over them. But the sons I want to look at today uh, specifically is the third son, but we reference it with the second and third son. The second and third sons are the ones that I want to look at today. As a picture, I want to look at these gentlemen as a picture and a reminder, one in particular, that we do not have to be defined by our past. We do not have to be defined by our past failures. We do not have to be defined by what others may think of us or what others may say of us. Genesis chapter 49 Verses 5 through 7, the Bible tells us, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel, O my glory. Be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel." This prophecy speaks of the second and third sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi. It speaks of them personally, and the, the prophecy originates out of, the, of what took place in Genesis chapter 34. We preached a sermon on that not too long ago, a story that we referenced in which, in which Dinah, the sister of Levi and Simeon, is, is for all intents and purposes, is, is raped by a young man. And Simeon and Levi are upset about this, and, and the family is upset about this, and they took revenge on this young man's family. They told the family that if, if all the males in your tribe become circumcised, then we will let you have our sister. We will let you have our daughter. And so all the men get circumcised, and while they're recovering from this surgery, from this procedure, when they are in discomfort, the, the brothers fall upon them, and they slaughter all the men of this tribe and kidnap and take their women and children. The Bible adds a little note to this whole story in Genesis chapter 49, in which in Genesis chapter 49 and verse 6, it says, and in their willfulness, they hamstrung the oxen. It's not mentioned in Genesis chapter 34, and I was kind of intrigued, why is that there? And as I studied and as I looked at that, uh, what, I, what I discovered is that this was to show that they were not just people of revenge, but they were truly, crim they were truly cruel in their intent. It wasn't just out of a righteous indignation that they lost control, but there was a, there was a cruelty to them that they would even allow the innocent to suffer, and there was a, a criminal wantonness to them. So what these sons did, though their anger, we could say, was justified to what happened to their sister, their response was not justified. Due to all this, their father says here at the end of his life, I want nothing to do with these men. Let them not be of the company of Jacob. Do not keep, be associated with them. I do not want them to be part of our counsel. I do not even want to be a part of their counsel. 
Then he removes the blessing from them of receiving any inheritance or land when he says, I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. I want you to understand the significance of how intense this statement is. Every single brother, every single other brother, the other uh, 10 brothers, all, every single one of them, their dad had at least something a little positive to say about them. Their brother that was right before them, their oldest brother Reuben, who slept with his father's concubine, who, who, who stabbed his own father in the back. Even over him, Jacob says, Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the first fruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Every single brother, even if there was some sort of consequence for some action they had taken, every single brother has at least something positive said about them, except for Simeon and Levi. There is not one positive word spoken about these boys, even by their own father on his deathbed. His prophecy was not just for them in the moment, but also it was a prophecy for the generations to come. It had both a personal component, but also a corporate component to it. The idea that they will be scattered throughout Israel. In other words, they will be without power. They will be without significance. They will be of no Worth And this is indeed what happened. These two tribes of Israel that grew out of these two brothers were indeed scattered. Simeon's offspring, the Bible uh, uh, shows us, they continued in the wicked ways of their forefather. They continued in their, in their wicked practices. If you want to go home today and read the book of Numbers, chapter 25, and the man slain, Zimri, the one that was slain in that story in Numbers, chapter 25, is described as a prince or a, a leader of the Simeonite tribe. And because of Simeon's, uh, the Simeonites' wickedness, by the time Moses speaks blessings over all of God's people in Deuteronomy chapter 33, the tribe of Simeon is not even mentioned. They were pronounced as, as wicked and, 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 and being scattered and of being no significance. And by the time we get to Deuteronomy 33, we see this to be a reality. Simeon is not even mentioned by Moses when he speaks over the children of Israel. It has disappeared. But there was two brothers that this curse was pronounced upon, both Simeon and Levi. Now, I think many of you, maybe all of, most of you in this room, know that Christine and I's uh, youngest son is named Levi. And, and, and if the story of Levi was simply Genesis chapter 34 or Genesis chapter 49 and the curse of Levi, we would have never named our son Levi if that's where the story ended. You know, people name their kids some, some weird things. My, my little sister has three children, and all of her kids have a middle name after an 80s movie. Harper, Indiana, Indiana Jones, Merrick Dundee, Crocodile Dundee, and Wilder Ferris, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Uh, this is my little sister. We have interesting, interesting names within our, within our family. People name their kids interesting things, and, and we name them some things. But most of the time, I've, I've discovered that we don't name people uh, even, even in our society, we don't give our children names of, of horrible characters from the Bible. I've met a cat named Jezebel, but I've never met a girl named Jezebel. I've met a dog named Satan, truly, but I've never named, met anyone named Satan. We don't name our kids of the horrible characters. If the story of Levi ended with this the story of Genesis chapter 34 or, or the curse in Genesis chapter 49, we would have never named our, our kid Levi. But the story of Levi, 
The, the, the tribe of Levi teaches us of the openness, of the, of the grace of God. It teaches us of his, of his mercy and, and of his willingness to allow us to turn around. It teaches us that we can change. We are not bound by what we were, by what someone said about us, or by how others see us. That's what the story of Levi teaches us. The story of Levi's tribe teaches us that consequences that we may experience in our life due to our sin, that even those things, God can turn them around and use them for his blessings and for his good. This is the lesson that we need to learn in these little short passages from the book of, Simi, uh, uh, the book of Genesis, chapter 49. It's the lesson we need to learn in this world in which we live. There are some in this world, maybe even some of us, listening to these words now, who blame the experiences of our past for being stuck in the rut that we continue to be stuck in. Well, well, this happened to me, and because this happened to me, this is just who I am and who I'm going to be. We, we maybe blame, blame the fact that we've heard people say negative things about us and, and speak things over us that are, that are, that are unkind or, or hurtful. Maybe those things were deserved. Maybe those things were, were, were truth about us at one point in time, but we've allowed those things to continue to define who we are as we go throughout our history. We need to recognize that that doesn't have to be the case. And Levi is an example for that is an example of that. How did this happen? Unlike his brother Simeon, who chose, and the tribe of Sim, the, the Simeonites, that chose to continue in the way of their forefather, to continue in the way of wickedness and, and idolatry and, and various types of errors in their life. Levi did not choose the mistakes of their past. In the moment in which they were confronted with the idea that are we going to be who, who we've been defined as? Are we going to be what, we, what we've been known as, as this, this cursed people from the book of Genesis? Or are we going to be something else? When, when they were faced with that option, they chose not to stay with who others thought they were, but to be something more. Open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 32, and we'll see this in the book of Exodus chapter 32. Exodus 32, verses 25 and 26. This is when, G uh, when Moses has come off of the, uh, Mount Sinai after receiving the commandments of God. And of course, down in the valley, the children of Israel have been worshiping an idol, and, and Aaron has been overseeing some of this. And in Exodus chapter 32, verses 25 and 26, the Bible says, And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, they had broken loose from, from following God, from their loyalty to God, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies. When Moses saw that the people had broken loose, then Moses, verse 26, stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. The whole camp is there before Moses. And Moses says, who is going to stand with God? Who is going to stand with God? Who, who would be the most likely to step up? We'd probably think it was one of the other brothers that, that, that was faithful about walking with God and, and one of the other brothers who, had, who has had a blessing over their life. But, but, the, the, but the one who comes to the forefront in verse 26 who is on the Lord's side, come to me. And the Bible says, and all the sons of Levi gathered around him. All the sons of Levi gathered 
around him. The sons of Levi, whom their own father Jacob did not even have one nice thing to say about them. The, 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 the sons of Levi, who, who, who the prophecy was spoken over them that they would be scattered and that they would be insignificant. The sons of Levi, whom their father said, let us not even take counsel with them. Let us not even as Israel be associated with them because of their wickedness. It was the sons of Levi who in that moment said, you know what, this is who we've been, but we're going to stand with God now no matter what. And that decision made all the difference in their life. Brothers and sisters, we are not defined by our past, by the failures that we've made, by the, fel- by the mistakes that we've made. We are not defined by what others have thought about us or what others even currently think about us. The only thing that matters today is when God calls us in this moment and says, who will gather with our God? The only thing that matters is if we will say, we'll gather with him. We will stand with him. We will stand with him for his cause, for his way in this wicked world. Some may have declared us failures. Some may have declared us losers. But Jesus, the King of Kings, says, if you stand with me, I will declare you holy and set apart and a chosen people unto myself. All the curses of the past become obsolete in that moment. Remember I said by the time that Moses blesses the people that we read about in in Deuteronomy chapter 33. By the time Moses blesses the people in Deuteronomy chapter 33, Simeon has lived up or lived down, so to speak, to the reputation, to the the prophetic word that had come upon them. They lived down to that prophetic word and they had been scattered and they had been of nothing. But in Deuteronomy chapter 33, Moses, when he speaks over the children of Israel, listen to what he says about Levi. Give to Levi your thummim and your urim to your godly one, whom you tested at Massah, with whom you quarreled at the waters of Meribah, who said of his father and mother, I regard them not. He disowned his brothers and ignored his children, for they observed your word and kept your covenant. They shall teach Jacob your rules and Israel your law. They shall put incense before you and whole burnt offerings on your altar. Bless, O Lord, Levi's substance and accept the work of his hands. Crush the loins of his adversaries, of those who hate him, that they rise not again. Jacob said, I don't even want Israel to be associated with them. Let us not receive any of their counsel, any of their, 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 their presence. And yet now God says through Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 33, these are the people that will instruct my people in the laws of God, in the things of God. Levi said, we'll stand for God, and everything changed. The child that that was defined as not good for anything is now set apart as a special representative of God. They became the teachers of Jacob's offspring. They became the representatives of God's law. They became the representatives before God on behalf of his people. They became the forebears to our ultimate representative, our high priest, Jesus Christ. And the inheritance that they were never to receive, the inheritance that they were never to receive in Numbers chapter 35, the Bible tells us, command the people of Israel to give to the Levites some of the inheritance of their possession as cities for them to dwell in. 
and you shall give to the Levites pasture lands around the cities. The cities shall be theirs to dwell in, and their pasture lands shall be for their cattle and for their livestock and for all their beasts. The pasture lands of the cities which you shall give to the Levites shall reach from the wall of the city outward a thousand cubits all around. And you should measure outside the city on the east side and on the west side and on the north side and the south side 2,000 cubits, the city being in the middle. This shall be to them as pasture land for their cities. The cities that you give to the Levites shall be the six cities of refugee. I didn't expect to find a sermon that reminded me that reminded me that it does not, I, my future is not determined by my past. I love Genesis chapter 49, verses five through seven, because these verses remind me that nothing horrible in my past, no matter what anyone else says about me, no matter how I've been defined by anybody else, I may be reminded that though I may be deemed the worst of all those around me, this does not have to be true forever. Though some may say that they are the worst of sinners, the chief of sinners, though I may have suffered consequences for my past mistakes, God can take those very things that people have said, God can take those very consequences, and God can turn them into an amazing blessing. We are never stuck as nothing when we choose in the moment that God says, who will stand with me to stand with him? We are never stuck. I praise the Lord for that personally for myself. I praise it personally for you. But I also praise the Lord that that's true corporately as well. Just as the prophecy was both about Levi personally and also about his offspring corporately, I rejoice that, that, that churches are not just about a single individual or a single person, but it's about all of us collectively. And that, and that, that we as a church, though at times we may be defined in one specific way, that does not have to be our forever reality. We can be something else when we choose to be bold and take a stand for Jesus. A church, some may say, is cold and dead. That church can become warm and full of life when people choose to stand with Jesus. A church that may, some may say is not truly committed to the mission of spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. That church can become on fire when they step out for God's kingdom. A church that, that some may decide is, is more about being a pew sitter and being entertained can become a house of workers for God when they take their stand with Jesus. A church that has a history of prejudice can become a church and a house of prayer for all nations when they say, we choose Jesus over this world and everything else. When we step forward like the Levites did, what has been the past, what others have said about us in the past, God says, it is of no mind. You are my chosen people, set apart for my works. Charles Chuck Colson was an evangelical Christian leader who founded Prison Fellowship, Prison Fellowship International and Breakpoint. This is the opening sentence of Chuck Colson's Wikipedia page, the Wikipedia page about Chuck Colson. An evangelical Christian leader who founded Prison Fellowship, Prison Fellowship International, and Breakpoint International. This is how many people in our modern society would know who Charles Colson is. He was the author of a, of a great book called Born Again. He is also the author of another very popular book called Loving God and many others. But before all this, Chuck Colson was not referred to as a Christian leader. 
In fact, if we went back into the 1970s or late 1960s, early 1970s, mid-1970s, if you were to say to someone, let's just pretend they knew what Wikipedia was. Of course, they didn't, but let's pretend that they did. But if you were to say to someone, Chuck Colson's Wikipedia page, the first line of his Wikipedia page is that he is an evangelical Christian leader who founded Prison Fellowship, Prison Fellowship International, and Breakpoint, they would think you were crazy. Because before Chuck Colson was any of these things, he was referred to as President Nixon's hatchet man. One magazine back in the 1970s wrote this, the evil genius of an evil administration is Chuck Colson. The evil genius of an evil administration is Chuck Colson. He was the first individual that went to prison for the Watergate scandal. Chuck Colson could have been defined by the consequences of his sins, by his role in deceiving the American people, by his role in destroying and defaming the lives of many that tried to oppose Richard Nixon. But that is not what he is primarily known for in this day and age. Why? Because at some point in his life, he read a little book called Mere Christianity, and when God spoke to his heart in that moment and said, Chuck's take a stand for me, Chuck Colson stood up for Jesus Christ. And his future is forever altered. Not determined by his past, not determined by the consequences of his past, but even those consequences become blessings in the arms and in the heart of Jesus. If we make the choice to stand for our God, when the call comes out, who will gather with the Lord? If we make that choice to gather with the Lord, no matter what our past, no matter what anyone has said about us, no matter what anyone thinks about us in that moment, everything changes. I thank God for the story of Levi, who reminds us that God's grace is bigger than our failures, and none of us are defined by the past or even the present. We're only defined by if we will gather with the Lord when he calls our names. Let us pray. Jesus, I thank you so much that you redeem us. You call us out of the mess, out of the past circumstances. You, you call us out of the negativity that has been spoken over us by some. And you speak into us new life. You remind us that our past, even our present, doesn't have to be our future. So in this moment, God, call each and every heart to stand with you, and may our lives and our church be forever changed. In your name, amen.